Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. Chasing Carrots video. So sorry about that. That's not cool. Come on, Pastor Kieran does all of these slides. Doesn't he do such an amazing job with our graphics? Visual, like every slide, I just give him a shout out because there are things that our pastors do that you all may not know, and I just love the ability to shout that out to you. Well, welcome everybody. If we've not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Tina. I'm the community pastor here at Arise, and I am excited to be bringing the word to you today. How are you this morning? Good, good. I'm so glad to hear it. I just asked Pastor Ken as he was walking back in the green room. I said, did you just talk about the lock-in? He said, I did. I said, great. That was my celebration today. So apparently we did not communicate. So I want to celebrate something personal. I just want to tell you something that maybe God has done in my life. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but it is our culture here to celebrate what God is doing in our life. Amen. Well, on January 2nd, my Facebook account got hacked. Now, typically that's not a big deal. If it gets hacked, you just go and you change your password. But my, my hacker was legit. And he completely took over my Facebook account. Like he changed the phone numbers, the passwords. Like I literally had no ability to get into it. And, and everybody who would say to me, hey, do you know you've been hacked? Yes, I know I've been hacked. Um, I said, just file a complaint. So there were almost 100 people that filed complaints, and Facebook just didn't do anything. And so I went to Jesus because I was a bit tad cranky about it, if I'm being honest with you. Like like 10 years of pictures and contacts and memories, and, and it wasn't just social media. It was like all of the stuff behind it. He stole my identity. And he was posing as me to to people that I care about. And I was really frustrated. And so through a process of prayer, Jesus taught me um, that he had not abandoned me, that I had prayed a very dangerous prayer on New Year's Eve. I had said, Lord, would you teach me how to war in prayer? Okay, don't ever pray that, (laughs) y'all. When you pray things like that, he gives you the ability to war in prayer. And so he showed me that he just was warring. And, and at one point I went to him and I'm like, God, like it's been like two months now. I mean, here's what would happen. I started a new account and he went and he took my Facebook photo and my cover photo off my new account, put it over on my old account so people would have difficulty seeing whether it was me or not. And so, I mean, this just was going on and it was frustrating. And at one point I really felt like the Lord said, this is a casualty of war. You're in war spiritually. This is a casualty of war. And I just kind of gave it up. Well, as God would have it through a series of events that I won't bore you with the details of, I got a prompt last night that I could log into it. And when I logged into it, it gave me a code. It let me change the password. Things I have tried 500 times in the last three months. And I got my account back. I got my account back. And not only did I get my account back, I got the email and the phone number of the joker who took my account so that I can call my friend at the FBI and say, okay, I've got some stuff. Like it's time for us to have a conversation. But here's what I wanna celebrate. It's not the fact that that God gave me the account back. Yes, all that's well and good. But the thing that I wanna celebrate is that God brings dead things back to life because he's in a resurrection. He is a resurrection. 
God, like that's who he is. And so I don't know what dead thing you might have in your life that you just think is done and gone and that's all there is to it. But I didn't plan to say this, but apparently somebody needs to hear it. We need to celebrate the fact that the thing that looks dead in your life, all it takes is one word from God and he can bring it straight back. Come on, somebody give God praise for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So how many of you have ever built a sandcastle at the beach? Can I see your hands? Okay, so if you have ever gone to the beach, almost everybody at one point or time has gone out with a bucket and a shovel, you know, the kind that we get from the Dollar Tree or Walmart, and sometimes we take a cup or a bottle cap or whatever we can get our hands on, and we build sandcastles. It's what we do. Those that come from up north, they build other shapes because they don't know that in Florida, we build sandcastles. And from the time we're little, like who came up with that? Like who decided that we were gonna build sandcastles and yet that's what we do. So for decades, ever since I was a little girl, my family has always spent a week at the beach, just you know, doing all things that you do at the beach. You know, splashing in the waves, hanging at the pool, you know, laying like a fried egg, you know, hoping for the, the sun, you know, the sun just to you know bless you with a beautiful golden tan. And we would have sandcastle competitions. And so we would all kind of split up and see who could build the best sandcastle. And eventually at some point we would all kind of get up from hours like bent over in the sun and we would stand up and we would go, ta-da! And we would talk about who had the best sandcastle. And then almost always at about two or three in the afternoon, we would go up and take showers and have lunch and take naps because that's what you do when you're out in the sun all day in Florida. And we would take naps and sometime after dinner, we would all come back down for the evening walk. And it broke my heart every single time because the tide eventually had come in and it had wiped out my sandcastle. And even if the sandcastle survived the, the afternoon tide, if you will, it didn't survive the night tide. It didn't survive the morning tide. And even though sand is somewhat durable, it's the consistency of the waves that actually erodes away our sandcastles. And if you've ever experienced it, you know it's just a sinking feeling. You're like, all of that hard work, and now it's gone. And the reality is, is that's how some of us feel about our money. We work all week using the tools of the trade that God has given us, We pour ourselves into the work that our hands have been given to do in whatever industry we've been given to do it in. And sometimes when we receive that paycheck or even before we get the paycheck, all of our hard work is gone. And it's like we have nothing to show for all of the effort that we put in over the course of that period of time. Bills and life and unexpected expenses have eroded away our sandcastle. And then we're left wondering, like, was it all worth it? And how do we stop it? Like, how do we stop the cycle and get off the hamster wheel? I just wonder how, how many of you can relate to that statement? Well, according to CNBC, six out of 10 of you can relate to that statement. You see, they reported at the end of 2021 that 61% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 
Six out of 10 of us are living paycheck to paycheck. And before you think, well, that's just a, a low income thing, the reality is, is that that same study showed that 42% of those making over six figures are also living paycheck to paycheck. The reality is, is that it doesn't really matter how much you're making or not making your financial status, it doesn't take a genius to recognize that the state of our economy is troublesome right now. Inflation is up. Can I get an amen? amen. Grocery prices are up. We're paying more to get less. Housing and apartment prices have reached unprecedented numbers. And don't even get me started on gas prices. On Friday, I went to get gas at Sam's Club because I felt like they might have the best price in town and did something I have never done before in my life. I got out of the car, pumped gas, and when I went back to get in my car, realized I had locked my keys in my car. So imagine it at Sam's Club. There are cars everywhere. And I go over and knock on the little shed and tell the guy, I need a cone to put behind my car and I need your phone. And while I was standing there waiting for the mobile key guy to come and charge me an arm and a leg to get me into my car, I literally almost saw two fist fights break out. I mean, people were screaming at each other at the top of their lungs, cursing each other out because one had dared to get in front of the other to get gas. And I thought, Lord, did you lock me in my car so that I could stand here and pray for these people? Lock me out of my car, is that what happened? Now I will say right here that I tried really hard to negotiate with the guy who was trying to charge me an arm and a leg and a kidney to let me into my car, which took all of five minutes. And I told him that if he gave me a great discount that I would shout his name out and his company name from the platform, but he only gave me a $20 discount. And so I'll tell you that there's a company in Brandon who does a good job, but I won't tell you who they are because he didn't give me a big enough discount. I told him, here's the deal. I can either say you did a good job or I can say your name. The call is yours. You know, that's, that's, just, really, that's just really where it's at. But here's the thought that went through my head. The thought went through my head. If there are arguments breaking out like that among strangers, what kind of arguments are breaking out among our families about the way that we are spending our money? Money or the lack thereof is causing more than a few of us to feel stressed out. And as a result, many of us are chasing carrots. We're chasing the carrots of peace and we're chasing the carrots of stability and we're chasing the carrots of security. And that's why we're teaching this series because we want to help give you a different carrot, a carrot that you can actually catch. Last week, Pastor Brent kicked it off and he talked about the principle of tithing. And he talked about in that message how tithing invites God's blessing upon your finances. Because whatever you surrender to the king is blessed. And I hope that many of you prayed over that message and you pondered it and you talked about it with God and you wrestled it out to find your truth personal truth as we introduce that, that principle. But as a reminder, Pastor Brent also taught us that, that when you give God your best, it allows him to bless the rest. But the problem is, is that anytime there's a truth, the enemy comes and he tries to bring a lie that goes along with it. 
and the lie that he tries to bring along to the truth of God does bless the rest when we give him our best is that if indeed God is blessing the rest, then I can do with it any way I want to do with it. I can do with it. I can spend it any way I want to because I'm blessed. And that's the lie of the enemy. And I know it's a lie because once upon a time, many years ago, I bought into that lie. And that lie brought grief and hardship into my life as all of Satan's lies do. And that's why today I want to introduce you to another principle, a principle that has the ability to help you catch the carrot. So today in week two of this series, catching carrots, chasing carrots, not catching carrots, although we might change it to that because I like it. We are going to talk about the principle of budgeting. Go ahead, just say the word. Budgeting, that's right, which as many of you know, it's just, it's simply a cash flow plan for your money. Now my guess is that some of you just had a pretty visceral reaction to that word. It could be, ugh, I don't wanna talk about that. Ugh, is that why I got up and got dressed to come out in the cold to talk about that word today? Some of you had a reaction when I said the word, just like this guy. Take a look at the screens. Did you see his face when Dave said budget? He looks kind of like some of your faces right now. We don't want to talk about that. Why? Why did he respond that way? Well, my guess is he probably has some budget baggage. He probably has some budget baggage. And my guess is some of you probably have some budget baggage as well. Some of us have baggage to budgets because we think of it as a restrictive regimen. It's kind of like the diet that says you cannot have any fun, you cannot pass go, and you cannot collect $200, right? We think of it as something that hinders our ability to dine out and have entertainment or a new outfit or a vacation. And as a result of that, we say, I'm not creating a budget because I'm not letting a budget boss me around. Don't say amen, but some of you just nod your head at me so I know that I'm talking to you. Others of us, we don't really have that issue. We have what I like to call number phobia. We like to have number phobia. Number phobia is basically just a fear of putting our finances on paper because as long as we can keep them in our head, we can skew them any way we want to. But if we put them on paper, we're gonna have to face some harsh realities. We might have to face some facts. Others of you in the room have what I call a beyond the budget mindset. You're like, yeah, once upon a time, I might have needed a budget. Not once upon a time when I didn't make as much. Once upon a time when I was college. But you know what? I've worked really hard and you know, now it's raining money in my life. I've got a little bit of margin. 
and I no longer need a budget, or maybe those aren't your issues at all. Maybe no one's just ever showed you how to create one or the value having one can bring to your finances. You know, growing up, I, I think I had a combination of all of these. If you were here back when we did our Killing Spiders series last year, you heard me talk about the fact that I grew up in what felt like lack. Not poverty, but lack. And as a result of that, when I became grown and I actually started making money, the last thing I was going to do was let somebody or something tell me what I could do with it. But the problem was is that because I didn't have any guardrails in my life, I, I didn't have any financial accountability, I just shopped at will. I did what I wanted, when I wanted, with who I wanted, how much I wanted, anytime I wanted. And I jacked up all manner of debt. And then it got to the point where I was overwhelmed by it and I, I didn't know what to do with it. And so I just decided that I wasn't going to deal with it. And so when a bill would come in, because back then they didn't send it via email, you got it in an envelope in the mail, I just stuck it in a drawer. And at first it was a really shallow drawer. And then it became a deeper drawer. And I just thought, I'm just not gonna look at it. I'm just not going to deal with it because it didn't matter how much money I made. And at that point I was growing in my income. I still never had any money. But over time, I matured a little. My budget changed brackets a couple of times. And I began managing my money a little more responsibly. I began to open up the drawer and begin to deal with the envelopes one at a time. And things seemed to be going good. I got married, life is grand. And as you heard my testimony a couple of weeks ago, I became a single mom. My husband passed away and all of a sudden I was back to managing one income. What, what I thought was going well all of a sudden now wasn't and I was faced with um, just difficulties in my finances. How do I stretch this dollar? How do I make it work? And at that time because of the line of work I was in, my income was inconsistent. I would get a big chunk and then a small chunk, but I didn't have a regular pattern of income and I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. I took the Dave Ramsey financial peace class, but I needed more. And so I made a decision at that point, which I can look back over the course of my life and tell you is one of the top five decisions, best decisions I have made of my entire life, I hired a budget coach. And I hired somebody who for six months worked with me week in and week out to figure out how to manage my budget. And then I worked with her for three months every other week. And then I went to once a month. And I still, right now, about every three months have a call with her because I don't have a spouse, I don't have a partner, I don't have somebody else that I'm sharing accountability with. And it's good to put godly counselors into our life. And I learned so much from her. I learned so much from her that I wanna be able to share with you today. But before I do, some of you just might be asking the question budgeting. I like the topic, Tina, but is it a Sunday morning topic? I mean, the reality is, is, is budgeting even biblical? Well, in full disclosure, the word budget is not actually found in the Bible. You can search it any way you want to search it. You won't find it in the King James Version. You won't find it in the NIV. You won't find it in the New King James Version of it. However, the Bible does a lot of talking about the word stewardship. 
which is the why behind the what when it comes to budgeting. Why would we spend a Sunday morning talking about budgeting? Because being a steward is a big deal to God. Stewardship means that we are managers of everything God has entrusted to us. And just in case you're wondering what that is, 1 Corinthians 10, 26 says, the earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to him, including my money and yours. You see, in the Garden of Eden, God gave humans the authority to take care of the earth. God gave us dominion over the earth, and he told us to go and to prosper and to multiply the blessings that he has brought into our life. And that doesn't mean that we get a free ticket to do anything we want to do, like some of us would like to believe. It says, on the contrary, what God wants is he wants us to steward well what he has given to us. He wants to steward well our time, our talents, and our treasure. And we see a powerful example of this in the Gospels. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up and turn to Matthew chapter 25. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it with you. And as you're turning there, let me just give you a bit of context. In this passage, Jesus has been teaching um, in the temple and he has left the temple And he is now sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And if you read through that passage, he is just dropping one truth bomb after another. He's just bringing them all kinds of revelation. And it's there in chapter 25, verse 14, that he begins to talk about the topic of stewardship. And he says this in verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, and to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Somebody say five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Somebody say two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with each of them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me, I love that word, entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came also. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. So here, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? 
Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, it would have received back. I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness Well, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Father, it is only natural that when we begin to talk about topics that feel sensitive, that feel personal, to pull back, to lean back, to wall up, Father. It's only natural. It's only human nature. And yet, Father, Lord, through this passage, I believe through this message, you are inviting us to lean in because you want something for us, not from us. And so I pray, Father, Lord, as uncomfortable as it may be for six out of the 10 in this room, I pray, Lord, that we would lean in, that you would open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. There is so much happening in this parable. And I wish I had time to unpack it. I wish I had time to take it line by line by line and just dissect it. But I only have time for us to talk about a few highlights today. You know, in this parable, like in most parables, there is somebody in the parable that represents God. That's the man. And there's somebody in the parable that represents you and me. And that in this story is his servants. And so here we find, having established that, the scripture says that the man called his servants to them and he entrusted them with talents, or this passage says bags of gold. The King James uses the word talents and talents was a measure of money. Make no mistake, it was a measure of money. But commentators suggest that the word talent actually is much broader than that. It refers to a weight, the things that God has weighted us with in order to carry for him. He went on a journey and he said, here, do something with what I am giving you. And I want to suggest to you that you and I have been entrusted by God with whatever we hold in our hands. Whatever we hold in our possessions, the family that you have has been entrusted to you by God. They're not yours, they're his. Your job has been entrusted to you, whether you like it or not, by him. Your home, your car, your stuff, all of that, your skills, your abilities, all of that has been entrusted to you by God. And they're intended to be a blessing in your life, to meet the needs of your life. But we're also supposed to develop them so that they're a blessing in other people's lives. They're the seed that keeps on giving. And I want you to also see here in this passage that The man chose to divvy out the initial blessings according to his pleasure. God is sovereign and God gets to decide how we all start out in this life. It's not something to get mad about. It's not something to get upset over about. It just indicates that God has said, this is what I've given you. Now, what will you do with it? Some of us take what we've been given and we're bitter because what we got doesn't look like what they got. And what they got looks better than what we have. And so we hide it in the ground 
Because we think, well, if you're not going to give me what that guy's given me, I'm not going to use it for your glory at all. But I want you to notice that God gave, the man gave these talents, these bags of gold to his servants, and he expected them to be faithful with the gift that they had received. But did you notice that one of the servants had a very different idea of what faithfulness looked like? We just read in that passage how two of the servants brought God back or brought the man back an increase on what they had been given. They had multiplied it in however way they were capable of multiplying it. But one of the men came back to the Lord and said, I have not multiplied it, but I still have it. Here's what I have for you. I give it back to you. And the man in this story, whom we know to be called God, uses really strong words. And he says to this man, you are wicked and you are lazy. He goes on to say in verse 27 that he expected at the very least to receive back what he had given with interest, even if there had not been a significant multiplication. He expected to receive it back with interest. And that tells us this, God expects us to steward his resources faithfully. And by faithfully, what he means is he expects an increase. And those who do will receive a blessing. And the blessing is we get more opportunity to be a blessing back to the king. It's not about us. It's about him. And there are consequences for those who don't steward well. Many years ago, I was feeling led by the Lord to write my first book, and I was struggling with the fact that God would even use my talents in that way. Who am I? I, I, I wasn't that much different than the third servant. Who, who am I that I would do that? And God brought a stranger to me in the middle of a Zaxby's who said, God has a word for you. The word is God has given you something and he wants you to do something with it. And if you'll do something with it, there's a blessing that's associated with it. But if you won't do what God is asking you to do, God will take the blessing. He will give it to another and what will be left behind will be a curse. A stranger in Zaxby's. And I went home and started doing the very thing that God said to do, I stopped procrastinating and I got about the business because I don't know about you, but I don't want to invite curses in my life. I want the blessings of God in my life. And I want you to remember as we think about this third servant that he did not come back to God and say, God, I, I lost the money. Like I, I, I don't have any money. Like he didn't pull out his, his pockets and say, I, I lost it. He didn't come back to God and say, okay, I am so sorry. I invested it. I took a really bad hit in the market and now I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. He didn't do that. He simply brought back to God what he had initially been given. And God's response was to call him wicked and lazy, which in the original language is, is grievously slothful. It wasn't that it was beyond his ability. It was that it was beyond his willingness to do something with it. I mean, ouch. Can somebody else say ouch? ouch. I could handle being called an ugly name by one of you, although I wouldn't like it. 
but to be called wiki, wicked, not wiki, wicked, <laughs> and lazy by God? The last thing I would ever want is to be regarded as that. And, and yet the truth of the matter, friends, is that a time is coming when you and I will stand before God and give an account over our lives, over the way we used our time and our talents and our treasures. And I want us, each of us, to be able to stand in front of him on that day, to be able to stand in front of his throne and not have to endure what that third servant clearly had to endure. And one of the ways that we ensure that that won't happen in this area of our lives is through the creation of a budget. Now, I know that that seems overly practical, but I have lived this. And so I have great passion when I tell you that it's not just about listing all of your income and all of your outgoing expenses. It's not about that. It's about creating an interactive cash flow plan that you are constantly talking with God about, that you are literally inviting him into the process of talking with you about your finances. Friends, if you want to live faithfully to God in the area of your money, it is my conviction that you need to know where your money is going. Do you want to know why? Because it's not your money. And it's not my money. It's his money. Dave Ramsey says it this way. We need to tell our money where to go instead of wondering where it went. I can tell you from personal experience, if you're here today, if you are experiencing any kind of financial distress in your life right now, anything that robs you of your peace, that budgeting flat out is peace on paper. From personal experience, I can tell you it is peace on paper. And I can say that with all confidence because I have been using the same system for the last decade, for the last 10 years. And no, it won't tell me everything's going to happen in my life. It is not a, a crystal ball that allows me see into the future, but I can predict 85% of my spending on paper. And I don't know about you, but that brings me peace. I love it because it tells me which weeks I'm going to fall a little short and which weeks I'm going to have a little extra. And I can see into the future. I budget three months at a time. What's going to happen? Christmas does not surprise me. It comes around on the calendar every 12 months. Birthdays don't surprise me. They come around the calendar every 12 months. I budget for those things in advance. And what I love most, what I've learned about my budget is that it's not my say no plan, it's my say yes plan. It's a if then plan. Tina, if you do this with your budget, then you can do what you wanna do. If I put my dollars in the right way, the way God has led me to do so, then I can do the things that make me happy. And because it's a regular part of my life, it ebbs and flows with me the way my life ebbs and flows. Can I still buy what I want when I want it, even though I'm on a budget? Sure, as long as there's money in the bank. But here's the thing that I have learned about budgeting. A budget can tell me what I can and cannot spend. But when the budget says no, it won't keep me from buying it. 
The budget doesn't reach up and smack my credit card out of my hand. It doesn't whisper to me, put it back in your wallet. It doesn't do that. I can still overwrite it. But here's the benefit of having it, especially for those who are living paycheck to paycheck, especially for those that are in that season of life. And there's no shame. We've all been in that season of life at one point or another. When you know you're going to record it, you'll pay more attention to whether or not you can afford it. Because I know that when I put it on paper, I see the consequences of that choice later down the line in my budget. If I'm gonna blow the budget over here on a $200 new outfit, I realize, okay, well, I'm gonna have to do some other issue, like reaction decisions down the line here just a little bit. And for those of you who don't feel like you need to have a budget because you're living in a season where you have a little more margin, where there's a little bit more than what is needed, a budget will still help you as well because writing it down will confront you on what you are spending on you. You see, during the seasons of my life where I had extra, the thought was, well, I'm tithing, I'm giving, I'm budgeting, I can do what I want to with the rest of it. But I love the way Andy Stanley says it. Pastor Andy Stanley, I've introduced this saying to you before and I wanna say it again. He says that greed is the assumption that the excess is for your consumption. Greed is the assumption that the excess is for your consumption. You see, when you have little margin, what we think is I cannot give. Because if I give, I don't have enough. And what we don't realize is that giving in the kingdom is what multiplies God's blessing back into our life. If you're in debt, don't stop giving. Start giving. You might have five bucks that you pay for somebody's coffee as the Lord leads you. You might have 10 bucks that you slip in a single mom's Bible when you're walking past their open Bible at church. I don't know what it is for you, but giving multiplies God's blessing in your life. And when you have extra margin, you may feel like you're giving more than enough when God has even greater pursuits that he wants you to be a part of. The Lord spoke to me this morning and he says, there are some here today that are trying to build their own kingdom when I want them to be a kingdom builder in mine. And no matter what camp you fall in, when you have to look at what you're spending, it, it forces you to look at more than your numbers. It forces you to look at your heart because money is a heart thing. There's the conversion of the spirit and then there's the conversion of the wallet. There's a reason that there's more passages on money in the Bible than there are about the kingdom of God. Because money sometimes is an obstacle to being a part of what God wants to do in the kingdom. I love Jacob Liu, former United States Secretary of the Treasury, said it this way, a budget isn't just a collection of numbers, but an expression of our values and of our aspirations. Show me your budget, show me your bank statement, and I'll tell you where your heart is. And I say that without judgment because I have to confront my heart every single week when I look at my budget. Jesus said it like this, for where your treasure is, you know the rest, 
there your heart will be also. But the question on the table is this, how do you know where your heart is if you don't know where your treasure is going? How do you know? That means you're wandering aimlessly. You're being led instead of leading. And the reality is, is that most of us don't. Like sandcastles, we work hard to build and build and build only to quickly watch it erode away grain by grain. But I'm here to tell you that it does not have to be this way. I'll repeat what Pastor Brent said last week. It's not that God wants financial wealth for you. Some of, some of you, yes, he does. But what I can tell you for an undeniable fact is that what he wants for all of us is freedom. He wants us to walk in financial freedom. We want that for you. We want that for you. Can I say it again? We want that for you. And that's why we create resources to help you in this area. It's one of the reasons that Tony Parker leads Financial Peace University on groups. It's why he'll lead it again. It's why Marvin Jackson will be leading it in South Shore this next season or, or a tool very similar to it. That's why we create messages like this so that we can confront the issue of the heart, but we don't just want to stir it up and then let it settle. We want to stir it up and then give you the ability to do something about it, to grow in this area. And so I'm excited to announce that in less than two weeks on Saturday, March 26 at 10 a.m., we are going to offer a very practical hands-on Zoom workshop on how to build and maintain a budget. In fact, we're going to make it as easy for you as we possibly can. There is a QR code on the screen. And if that's something that you know right now, I need to be in that, you just need to pull out your phone, you need to hold it up to the screen, and you can sign up for it right here, right now. You don't have to wait for it. And I don't want you to worry about who's looking at you to the left and to the right. Will somebody think you need a budget? Everybody needs a budget. And so if they're looking at you, you need to look back at them and go, why aren't you doing it? The reality is, is that we all need it. And I'm gonna lead that workshop. I am gonna teach you the tools that I have been using faithfully for the last 10 years that led this single mom through single momness, financial challenges, difficult economies. And we're gonna talk about in this particular workshop, I'm gonna give you the tools to figure out whether or not you have a don't make enough issue or you have a spend too much issue because they're not the same. And I'm going to show you how to do that. And I'm going to show you how to come out of the darkness and step into the light. And so if this workshop will be helpful for you or someone you know, it's also on the Church Center app. You can sign up for it there or this QR code right here. And for those that attend, I'm also going to be telling you about an opportunity to step into one-on-one -on -one budget coaching through our coaching and counseling center that is now up and running. But let's be really clear here. I want you to attend this workshop. I, I want you to get the tools you need to get, to get the help you need so that you can live and walk in the freedom that God wants you to walk in. But let's be really clear here. Budgets don't grow wealth. If you're coming here and you're saying, I want to grow wealth, and you don't have a budget, well, then this is the first step. But this is not going to teach you how to grow wealth. That's not what, I'm do That's not what I do. I'm not a financial planner. And budgets are not going to immediately or overnight or even next month improve your credit score. 
They will over time because you'll learn how to start paying everything on time. That's not the budget's job. The budget's job, its entire job, is to help you manage as a manager to steward as a steward what God has entrusted to you. Here's why. So that on the day that you stand before him, so that tomorrow when you stand in his presence, you will hear him say to you, well done. That good and faithful servant, well done. You have been faithful with a little. You have been faithful with a few. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. How many of you want that? I want that. I want that. As the worship team is coming, I, I close with this story. True story. Bob and Tammy got married when they were in their early 20s. And between the two of them, when they got married, they were already $20,000 in debt. It's no big deal according to national averages, but that's where they were when they got married. And as their family grew and their family increased in size and they grew by two children, so did their debt. And their debt grew and it grew and it grew until the point that it was so heavy and it was so overwhelming that they were contemplating things that we won't even speak about in this room. They cried out to God as believers because this just doesn't happen in the life of an unbeliever. They cried out to God as believers and on that Sunday as God would have it, their pastor got up and announced that they would be starting a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class and they thought, what do we have to lose? And so they took the class, they hired a coach and they began the process of clawing out of debt, a teaspoon at a time, clawing out of debt. And through this class, they learned the importance of budgeting. They learned the importance of budgeting. And they learned that it wasn't just a one-time event, that it's a lifestyle. And they began to build on that foundation. They began to create a debt management plan. They began to cut their spending. They began to doing whatever they needed to do to bring additional income into their house because they realized that they were one financial crisis away from being homeless. I sat at a meeting two weeks ago with financial planners in this community on the state of the economy in this community. And what they said, and their numbers were far scarier, is one out of every four families is one disaster away from being homeless. And in this community, if you don't have a home now, the finding one process is gonna be incredibly difficult. It's going to need a move of God. But this family did the work and they did the prayer and they repented of their slothfulness. They repented of grieving the Holy Spirit. They repented of their lifestyle. They repented and it took them seven years of hard work. But after seven years, they found themselves debt-free having paid off $457,000 
in seven years. You can clap that in. That couple deserves it. And what's so beautiful is that the family not only changed their finances, they changed their legacy. They changed their family tree. They broke the cycle and they taught their kids that living a life of freedom is entirely possible when you steward money the way God has called you to steward it. That's why I hired a coach. Because I had watched the cycle in my grandparents' life and in my parents' life and there it was in my life. And I said, I am not passing this on to my daughter because whom the son sets free is free indeed. And I'm going to teach her and she will tell you from the time she was 13 years old that she has been using the exact same budget that I use now. Now she has found some fancier versions and she has evolved and that's all well and good and I don't care. I care that she uses it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.